Good morning. It is great to have you here with us this morning as we continue to walk through this Advent season, as we celebrate the fact that the King of Heaven did indeed come down to us and we can rejoice in that fact. If you're new or visiting, I'm, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we are glad that you're here with us this morning to, to celebrate all that God has done for us this morning. Just a couple of announcements to bring to your attention. Uh, so this morning, at the end of our service, we will take communion together as a way of remembering all that God's done for us in Jesus. When we take communion on those Sundays, we collect a, a special offering outside of our regular offering. It's a, a benevolence offering that we use to, to bless and help people in need in our community and in our church family. Um, and there have been a, just recently a number of situations that we've been able to use that money for. We thank you for giving to that, and we would just invite you to do that again. So this morning on your way out, there will be someone at each of the doors holding a tray. That's where the benevolence offering can go. Regular tithing offering can go in the wooden boxes on, on your way out this morning if you uh, want to contribute to what we're doing here as a church. A couple other announcements. To direct your attention to your, to your bulletin. There's a few things coming up in, in December. Uh, one of those things is um, uh, their children's Christmas program. Um, next Sunday, that we'd invite you to come be a part of and watch as the children rehearse the Christmas story for us. And another thing we're doing as part of our kind of Christmas celebration is you may have seen walking in downstairs that the youth have um, some some cookies out. And so Pastor Ian can come and tell us a little bit more about what that's all about. Good morning. So downstairs, you'll notice a bunch of cookies and some pretzels with Rolos and candy on them. Um, so every year, the youth group does a fun event of making Christmas cookies together. Um, so last night, about 15 youth came and made cookies for about three hours and made about 200 cookies. So um, downstairs, there are cookies. You are all more than welcome to grab them. We also do take a free will offering with it. So if you want to give, please give. If you can't or don't want to give, it's okay. Take a cookie. It's great. Um, but all the money goes to the youth group helping offset our winter trips. So we do um, one to Green Bay for our district's youth conference, which is a great, great time. Uh, it's, me, well, it's us with 4,000 students um, hanging out at a conference center and getting to hear about from God's word, great worship, that kind of thing. Um, but all the money helps to offset that, and then our winter retreat in February, where we go to Camp Four Springs, skiing, snowshoeing, and just get to talk about God for a weekend with students. So if you'd like to donate, that'd be great. If not, it's okay. So that's what the cookies are for. Got the mic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also coming up on... Uh, in December 21st is our Women Common Ground. If I tell you a little bit more about that, Lisa Miller is going to come and uh, talk a little bit more about what's going on there. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Lisa Miller, and I wanted to come up this morning to personally invite each one of you women to Common Ground. Um, Common Ground has been in the bulletin for years, and Lori, it's Lori here, thank you Lori for sending out emails and putting it in the bulletin. 
Um, but I thought it was time to bring a face and a voice to the invitation. So here I am. Um, so Common Ground is on the third Thursday of each month from October until April, so there's seven times that we get together here at the church, 6.30 to 8. Um, and Common Ground is a fellowship of women. It's a place to share our hearts, joys, struggles, celebration, um, and our faith in Jesus. And I looked up why it's important to fellowship, and let me just quickly read this to you. All of us together show the glory of God no matter where we are in our faith. Fellowship provides us with strength. Being around other believers gives us the chance to learn and grow in our faith. It demonstrates to us why we believe, and sometimes it is the excellent food for our souls. So um, I just want to really encourage you, if you are looking for a place to, if you have been lacking in joy and you need a place of joy, or if you need a place to just have your heart land in a safe place, this is the place. We have an um, icebreaker question that is neutral, or it can lead into something that um, is deeper to share, so there's no pressure to um, share, but it's just really a beautiful opportunity to um, share with other women in the Lord. And let me share, end with sharing one of my favorite verses of all time, um, 1 John 1, 3, and truly, truly, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we have really, really been blessed with the presence of the Lord in that group. So if you um, feel like that's something that you want to be a part of, we welcome you on the third Thursdays of the month. Thank you. Again, it's great to, to gather together, and especially as you walk through this, this Advent season. And so just to, to remind us what Advent is all about, we often light a, an Advent candle each week. And so to do that this morning, the, the Kirby clan is going to come, and they're going to read a reading for us and light the candle for us. The second Sunday of Advent gives us the opportunity to center our thoughts on peace. Advent is a chance to remember that the coming of Jesus made it possible to have peace with God and peace with one another. Isaiah 9 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery, and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by the war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, goes far beyond not fighting with others or peace as we know it. Shalom is, in essence, how things are meant to be, a slice of heaven. As we light this candle, let us reflect on how peace from God, biblical peace, allows us to trust in God's promises through restful, tranquil faith, despite the dark, scary world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God who gives peace. This second week of Advent causes us to remember that because of Jesus, we can experience a life of peace. Regardless of the circumstances or situation, you offer us peace that passes understanding. We ask that you keep us in perfect peace as our mind stays on the truth of your powerful love. Thank you for your mighty sovereign hand. Help us to trust fully in you and rest in the peace that you offer. In Jesus' name we pray.
Till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb he conquered dead. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me.
Father, you are indeed so, so good. It's easy for us to take for granted or miss your goodness. And you have been so good to us. So that our lives be dedicated to singing and praising you for your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see it in. Kids who are in 4K through second grade at this time have the choice of going down to Children's Church if they want to do that. You're dismissed now. On, on September 13th, 2004, Oprah produced one of the more memorable moments in, in TV history when she famously gave a new car, a, a brand new Pontiac G6, to, to everyone in her audience, right? nearly 300 people. And this, this moment has gone down in history, right? Because it's famous for, for Oprah famously shouting, You get a car, you get a car to everyone who was there, right? It's like seen over and over and over. Like, there she is. Like, that was the scene. And it's all seen like a great, gracious, and generous gift from the show to the audience members. And all the audience members have been selected because in interviews they had indicated that they needed transportation. It just seemed like a great, generous gift. But as the story kind of gained popularity, some details emerged that made the gift seem a little bit less generous. For one thing, the Oprah show didn't pay a cent for the cars. They were donated by Pontiac as part of a promotional ploy. And considering that Pontiac went out of business within five years of this airing, <laughs> you can judge for yourself how effective that was. Right? But Oprah didn't pay a penny. Well, the show didn't pay a penny, the recipients of the car were not so lucky. Because they later found out that they were on the hook for a, a gift tax on the car, which ended up being between six and $7,000 per recipient. Right? Now, to be clear, right? getting a car valued over $20,000 for six or $7,000 is still a good deal. Right? But the point remains that this gift was neither as sacrificial on Oprah's part, nor as free for the recipients as we were led to originally believe. And as stories like this that have created the kind of constant weariness in us of, of things that seem too good to be true. Right? We've been conditioned when things like this happen to always be asking, like, what is the catch? Whenever something seemingly good comes our way, we're constantly on guard against what the catch might be. So, when something truly is freely and sacrificially given to us, say, for example, the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we can't help but think that there must be some string attached somewhere. And when it comes to, to God's grace freely given to us in Jesus, I think the way we think, the way the skepticism manifests itself is often like this. We think, like, I can believe right, that Jesus died, and he came, and he died on the cross for me in my place to forgive my sins and, and make me right with God. But now the string attached 
It's that it's up to me and my own work, to my own effort to become obedient and be more and more like Jesus. It's up to me to do the work of actually becoming holy. Try to use kind of traditional theological language. We can believe that we are justified, that is declared not guilty by God's grace through Jesus. But the catch, we think, is that now I must be sanctified by my own good works. I must make myself righteous by my own self-effort. What we'll see in our passage this morning is that this is a belief that has plagued the church from the very beginning. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, we see this abundantly clear. We'll read the whole passage in a minute, but I think it's worth our time just to look at verse 3 by itself, because it's a key verse for the whole passage. So real quick, look at this. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 3, How foolish can you be? After starting your new life in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I think if I examine my own heart, you probably examine yours, like we're all so prone to do this. We can recognize right, that we are forgiven and we came to faith in Jesus not through anything we did, but by the Holy Spirit revealing God's grace to us. We believe we started our new life in the Spirit. We're good with that. But many of us, myself included, then are prone to, to try to become perfect by our own human efforts. And what Paul is trying to help the Galatians understand in this passage, and what I hope we all leave here understanding this morning, right, is that the gospel is both how we are made righteous and how we grow in righteousness. Specifically, that the Holy Spirit at work in us is both what brings us to faith in Jesus and what empowers us to grow in righteousness. That's what I hope we we see this morning. Let's read the passage together. So Galatians 3, starting at verse 1, looking through verse 14, Paul writes this. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you had heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. 
but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So in the big picture, kind of zooming out, looking at the whole book of Galatians, this passage is a continuation of, of Paul's argument that, that the Gentiles should not be required to be circumcised or to follow Old Testament traditions in order to be fully accepted into the family of Christ. There were some in the churches in Galatia who were insisting that in addition to Jesus, obedience to the Old Testament laws and traditions was required. If not for salvation, then at least for, for status of first class, top tier Christian. And what Paul is desperately trying to drive home in this passage is that self-willed obedience to the law has nothing to do not just with salvation, but with any part of the Christian life. My hope this morning is that we, we see the same thing. And to, that, to do that, I want to look at four things that our own human effort cannot do. Paul says in verse 3 again, Are you trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And this whole passage about the ineffectualness of our own human effort. The four things that our own human effort cannot do. First, our own human effort is not what saves us. Our best effort at, at keeping the law will never earn God's favor and make us right with God. Paul made this clear over and over and over again in this book. He says it here in verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, he says, Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. In verse 11, no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Back in chapter 2, Paul wrote, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Keeping the law or trying to adhere to some moral code is not and will not make us right with God. In fact, it will, it will condemn us. It will place us under a curse in which we deserve God's judgment and punishment. And this idea that our own effort is not what saves us, is what makes Christianity unique. Pretty much every other religion, every other worldview teaches that our work, right, to be good people, is what makes God or the spirits or the universe or karma or whatever happy with us and bless us. You'd think that most worldviews, most religions teach that it's our good at work and our effort that, 
that will bless us with either with good things in this life or, or with better, a better life when we're reincarnated or, or in the afterlife. Pretty much every other religion and worldview is some form of, of that idea. But Christianity says right, that God's standard is perfection. No matter how hard you try, you will fall short of meeting God's standard. God's law is there to show us our sin. You can never be good enough to be made right with God through your own effort. If it, if it could, all this stuff about Jesus would be pointless. Which is what Paul said at the end of chapter 2. He said, If keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. But keeping the law can't make us right with God. Because we can't keep the whole law. And because we can't keep the whole law, we deserve punishment. We are under a curse, Paul says. But then Jesus came and he kept the law for us. And he bared the curse for us in our place. Verse 13, Jesus, but Christ, has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Our human effort is not what saves us. It is faith in Jesus taking the curse for our wrongdoing upon himself and giving us his righteousness in our place. Like That's what saves us. So if you're here this morning, you've been hoping to earn God's favor by being good and doing good deeds and working hard to do the right thing. Maybe you're here and you're exhausted because like, you know all the junk in your heart and you've seen yourself fail over and over and over again. Like, that's you this morning. I just urge you to stop trying by your own human effort to save yourself and trust Jesus for your salvation. Only by trusting Jesus can we be made right with God. So if that's you, like right now, today, this morning, like you don't need to clean yourself up first. You don't need to have a good stretch of behavior before you go before God. Just trust that Jesus died for you. Our own human effort is not what saves us. But even if we accept that, as I said in the introduction, many of us think and act as if it is up to us to live morally upright lives. But again, we see in this passage that our own human effort is also not what sanctifies us. Right? Sanctification is the Bible's word for, for this process by which over time we grow to become more and more like Jesus and live lives that are more and more righteous. And whereas we're initially declared not guilty of our sins at the one-time event, sanctification is a process that takes place over the course of a lifetime. At the instant we trust Jesus, all our sinful desires don't just suddenly disappear. Even though God declared us not guilty of our sins when we trust Jesus, the process of actually becoming more and more holy and less and less prone to sin takes a lifetime and in fact won't ever be fully completed in this lifetime. We will struggle with sin till the day we die. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. 
For by that one offering, He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Both those things are simultaneously true. We are both already forever made perfect, and we're still in the process of being made perfect, being made holy. We are both already justified and still in the process of being sanctified. But here's the important point. Both justification and sanctification are works of God by the power of His Holy Spirit, not due to our human effort. Our human effort is not what sanctifies us. Look at verse 3, 1, 3, but let's look at it again. How foolish can you be after starting your new life in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Paul said trying to make yourself perfect, trying to live righteously by your own effort is foolish. We're prone to think that while we can never save ourselves, once we are saved, choosing to stop sinning and growing to be like Christ is something we can do through our own willpower. But I think Tim Keller is right when he says this. Our failure to obey and conform to Christ's character is not a matter of simple lack of willpower. And so we cannot treat our failure simply by trying harder. After all, resolving to try harder is resolving to rely on our own efforts to keep a law. We need instead to realize that the root of all our disobedience in particular ways in which we continue to seek control of our lives through systems of works righteousness. Like our ongoing, continued struggles with sin are not rooted in our need to try harder. We continue to struggle with sin because we continue to look to other things to give us what only Jesus can give. So if you struggle with with anger, you're quick to snap when something doesn't go your way. It's not because you just need to try harder to stop being angry. The reason you struggle with anger might be because you expect things going your way to bring you joy and peace and hope that should only be found in Jesus. And so when things don't go your way, your anger flared up because you feel like that joy and peace has been stolen from you. But that thing going your way was never going to be what brings you joy and hope and peace. That's only Jesus going to do that. If you struggle with with gossip, it's not because you just need to try harder to stop gossiping. Because you're looking to your ability to dole out little tantalizing bits of information as a way to feel the significance that should only come through being a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. If you struggle with greed or materialism, because you're looking to to wealth and financial security to bring you joy and fulfillment that you are meant to find in Jesus. The root of all our ongoing struggles with sin is not a lack of self-control, but a failure to bring the gospel to bear on every part of our lives and to think through what the gospel means for us and how we have to apply that to our lives. Our own human effort is not what sanctifies us. Our own 
our own human effort is also not said what saves us. And another thing is not, their own human effort is not what secures us. This one isn't quite as clear in the passage. It's maybe more of a sub-point of point number two, but I think it's important to say. Because I think there's a tendency among some Christians to think, well, Jesus saved me by his grace. Right? He moved me from unsaved to saved. He moved me from condemned sinner to righteous saint. He moved me from, from this side of the line to this side. But if I sin too much, or if I don't work hard enough at being righteous, then, then over time my sin can drag me back across to the other side of the line. And Jesus moved me from the death side of the line to the life side of the line. But it's up to me to keep myself over here on the life side. It's up to me to, to secure my salvation. But no, our own human effort is not what secured our salvation. In that Hebrew verse we looked at earlier, the author of Hebrews says, For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. By Jesus offering himself on the cross for you, he forever made you perfect. Even as you're still in the process of being made holy. If you have believed in Jesus, you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are forever perfect in God's eyes. And you can't walk yourself back across that line. It's forever. Paul explains how this all works in Ephesians 1 when he writes in verse 13, When you believed in Christ, he identified you as one of his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So when you believed in Christ, the Holy Spirit came and he lived in you. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. If you have received the Holy Spirit by trusting in Jesus, God has guaranteed that you will receive the inheritance he promised. Guaranteed. I hate shopping in physical stores. I prefer to do shopping online. That, that presents certain, certain risks, right? Risks of things not fitting, things of, risks of things not being the way you expect them to be. And so there are a few things I appreciate more in online shopping than like a good satisfaction guarantee. Right? So I buy all my running shoes through, through Running Warehouse because they offer a 90-day, no-questions-asked return policy. And they, they return used shoes if they don't work for you. I like shopping at REI because they have a 365-day return policy and satisfaction guarantee. All of you has what they call their twice-as-nice guarantee. Where if you're not happy with a product, they will not only give you your money back, but they'll also replace it with a similar product. Those are all great guarantees. But none of them compare to a guarantee made by God. When God makes a guarantee, it is rock-solid. And God has given you His Holy Spirit, His rock-solid, no questions asked, no doubt, guarantee that He has purchased you to be His people. You are secure. You are guaranteed. There is, your human effort is not what secured you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God's Spirit at work in you that is your security and guarantee of salvation. 
If our human efforts don't save us, they don't sanctify us, they don't secure us, and finally our own human efforts don't elevate us. And I struggle with a little bit with like what to call this point number four. Like, if I was a better preacher, it would have started with an S so that the alliteration kept going, but I couldn't think of a good word that fit. But here's what I mean by, by elevate. Look at verse five. I ask you again, did God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message heard about Christ. How does God not give the Holy Spirit because of obedience? It's also not in response to our obedience that he works miracles among us. Sometimes we think, like, okay, like it is God's work and not my work that saves me. Like, I, I got that. That's fine. But we're trying to think or at least feel in our heart, right, that, well, but I can earn extra blessing from God. Or I can, I can elevate myself to a higher status of Christian. Or I can, I can elevate God's opinion of me. I can earn miracles by being extra good. I can almost coerce God into blessing me and doing miracles in my life by my obedience. That can create pride in us. Because we think, well, like my life is, is going better than that person, so God must be blessing me more, and so God must be happy with me. Probably the most common version of this is what we often call the, the health and wealth, or the prosperity gospel. Which said, right, that if you're good enough, God will bless you with health and wealth and comfort. If you have enough faith that you are doing enough good things, God will bless you. One prominent prosperity preacher puts it this way. God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. But if you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you are going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. Do you hear that logic? If you do the right thing, if you say the right word, if you boldly declare these words over yourself and your family, then God will make you prosperous and healthy. Because your effort, your work that's going to bless you and make you prosperous and healthy. Whenever I think of the the prosperity gospel, I can't help but think of, of this quote from John Piper when he says, If God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, then God hated the Apostle Paul. It doesn't work. The prosperity gospel is probably the most common and egregious way that this idea manifests itself. But it also flares up in more kind of subtle ways. We're guilty of this. Anytime we say, like, God, if you just will get me out of this, I will never do X again, or I will commit my life to you. If you just get me out of this situation, God. Anytime we do that, like we're embodying this idea. Or if we have some, some big event or some big work thing or some job interview coming up, maybe we try extra hard in the, the day before that thing to, to read our Bible and to pray and to be extra good. Because secretly we're thinking, well, maybe my being extra good will, will kind of cause God to make my, my big event go well. When we do that, we're embodying this idea that it is our good work that elevate us in God's eyes. 
But God doesn't do miracles and bless us in response to our obeying the law. It's because we have believed the message we have heard about Christ. God does not bless you and do miracles among you and elevate you to a higher status of Christian based on your obedience. God already sees you as having the perfect righteousness of Christ. That there's no higher place to go. The whole Christian life is rooted in the gospel and in believing what Jesus has already done for us on our behalf. The gospel is both how we are made righteous and how we grow in righteousness. None of these things, salvation, sanctification, eternal security, none of them happen by our own human effort. Instead, Paul said they all happen because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul says in verse 2 that we received the Holy Spirit because we believed the message we heard about Jesus. And then it is the Holy Spirit at work who does all these things. Paul talks a lot more about this in chapter 5, and we'll look a lot at it when we get to that point in our series, but I think it's worth looking at briefly this morning. One thing I don't want to do is give the impression that because we are saved and sanctified and secured by the Spirit, then we can go live a life of sin. Like, that's not the case. So if you have a Bible or you're following along in the Galatians Scripture Journal, I'd just invite you to turn to chapter 5 of Galatians and look at verse 13. Paul writes this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but... Do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. A couple verses later, in verse 16, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So, Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. But the way the Holy Spirit does this is important. I think oftentimes we think just the Holy Spirit just gives us an extra dose of, of willpower to overcome our sin. But look what Paul says in verse 17. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. When we receive the Holy Spirit by believing in Jesus, He comes into our lives and He changes us but not on a behavioral level, first and foremost, but on the level of our desires and the level of our motivations, which then overflow into actions and behaviors. Paul goes on to say in the next verse that, that the spirit and the flesh are both still at work in us, and they are, they are in conflict. So we don't just expect that our desires are magically changed overnight. And we do have a role to play in, in fighting the flesh and walking by the Spirit. We can't just entirely let go and let God. There is a role we play. But it's a role we play by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through that work in us to change not only our behavior, but our desires. So that over time, we desire the things of the world less and less and less. And we desire the things of Jesus more and more and more. Verses 22 and 23 are some of the more famous verses in the whole Bible. They're the fruit of the Spirit passage, and Paul writes this. 
But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. But notice, it doesn't say, well, the good Christian will try hard to act loving and act joyful and act peaceful and act kind. No, Paul says that the Holy Spirit, which we receive when we believe in Jesus, produces this fruit in our lives. So we become people who don't just act loving, but who in our heart are loving. We don't just act joyful, but in our hearts we are joyful by the work of the Spirit. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit that we received when we believe the gospel, not our own human efforts that produce this fruit. The gospel, the work of Jesus in our lives, on our behalf, is both how we are made righteous, how we're forgiven of sins, and how we grow in righteousness. It's a free gift. There are no strings attached. There is no catch. There's no taxes you find out about later. It may sound too good to be true, but it is not. God has already done everything required for you to both be saved and to grow in Christ's likeness. Some of you are here today because you're tired, because you have, through your own effort, maybe for years, either been trying to save yourself or you've been trying to sanctify yourself, or you've been trying to secure your salvation for yourself. So if you're here this morning, you're just tired and worn out from your own effort to make life go your way, I encourage you to stop and to rest. Stop trying to look to your own achievements or to your money or to your happy marriage or to your happy family or to your career success. Stop looking to any of those things to provide where only Jesus through the Holy Spirit, can provide. If you're here and you just feel like, I've been trying to save myself. I've been trying to earn God's favor. Would you just pray and say, God, like I know I can't be good enough. I know I can't meet your standard, but I trust that Jesus lived a sinless life in my place. That because he died for me, I can receive his righteousness and I can be made right with you. If you're here and you've been trying to sanctify yourself, maybe you've been fighting some sin in your life that you just can't seem to get over, and you're worn out from fighting that battle against that sin, would you just pray and say, God, I confess my struggle with this sin to you, and would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, change my heart, change my desire to let this sin would, would be defeated in my life. You've been here and you've been trying to secure your own salvation through your own effort. Would you pray and say, God, like, I trust that you've already made me perfect forever. And yes, I want to live for you and I want to be righteous and live a holy life. But when I fail, I trust that you've already made me perfect forever. And it's not my effort that will secure me, but what Jesus has already done for me. 
spirit here, and you just have find yourself trying to elevate yourself in God's eyes through your own obedience, but you just pray and say, God, like I know, right? I am already fully righteous in your eyes because of what Jesus has done for me. I know I cannot elevate myself in your eye because I am already seen as having the perfect, sinless life of Jesus. So would you free me from that need to elevate myself? The gospel. What Jesus has done for us is both how we are made righteous and how we grow in righteousness. And so many of our troubles in life come not when our willpower wanes, but when we forget the gospel. When we forget what Jesus has done for us and how it affects all of our life. Which is why we need to be reminded of the gospel over and over and over again. That's why I try to give you the gospel every week through word in the sermon. But it's also why God has given us baptism and communion as a way of reminding ourselves of the gospel. Not through words, but by actions. So this morning, we're going to take communion together as a way of reminding ourselves that Jesus came and he took on flesh and he lived among us. He lived a sinless life among us, fully human. And yet he went to the cross and he died in our place and his body was broken. His blood was poured out, poured out on our behalf. We're going to take communion just a moment. If you're new here, how we do communion here. At each of these tables up front, there's bread and there's grape juice. We invite you to come forward in a moment and grab one of each of the elements you prefer, gluten-free, the wicker basket at gluten-free elements in the back. In just a moment, I'll invite you to come forward and, and take the elements and return to your seat. And then when everyone has the elements, we will partake together. If you would prefer to stay in your seat because it's hard for you to get up or anything like that, you can raise your hand and we will bring the elements to you. Before we get there, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending your Son, sending Jesus to take on flesh to be born to Mary and Joseph that first advent to live among us sinful humans to be like us in every way yet to be without sin thank you that Jesus went to the cross for us he suffered the curse in our place. By doing so, He gave us His righteousness so that when we believe in Jesus, you look at us and see the sinless life of Jesus. Father, we thank You for the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who changes our desires, who produces fruit in us. Father, would you remind us of all that you've done for us in Jesus, both through your word, but also in the
this communion and meal we're about to take together, would we reflect and remember all that Jesus has done for us? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, come forward, grab the elements, return to your seat, and we will partake together when everyone has the elements.
Father, again, we thank you for all that you've done for us through Jesus. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. In the same way, after supper, he he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Thank you for this chance to remember all that you've done for us in Jesus and how the life of Jesus on our behalf both makes us right with you and is the power that continues to work in us to make us more and more holy. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of notes about the flow of this morning following the service. So, some of you may have noticed, like, there's a whole section in our passage this morning about Abraham and all these things that I didn't even touch on, and I already went long, but some of you might be curious about what that means. So if you want to talk more about that, we'll have a question and answer session about the sermon. That'll be over in the library wing as we hear some children's music background noise. It'll be great. Um, but the, the children's program will be practicing up here in this room during the Sunday school hour. There's treats and coffee downstairs. We invite you to head downstairs after the service and enjoy time together in fellowship and enjoying those things. A reminder that we'll connect benevolence on the doors on your way out this morning. Lord, again, we're just thankful and glad that you are here with us to celebrate all that God has done for us in Christ this morning. So as you go, would you go remembering the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you? You are dismissed.
to the cradle from cradle to 